Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Paytm. Paytm is the best way to pay your bills because you can pay all of your bills at once in one place and you'll get $10 back when you pay your bills. Pay a $200 bill, get $10 back when you download the Paytm Canada app and use the promo code CANADALAND. And guys, I am on vacation this week. Filling in for me is the terrific Omar Mualem. Enjoy. This episode of Canada Land is being recorded in Edmonton. I'm your guest host, Omar Moalam. The first thing Mac Lamoureux ever said to me was, I hear you're a Holocaust denier. Now, I am not, but when he said it at a brunch, my stomach turned because I knew exactly why he was asking. See, in 2014, I criticized men's rights activists in a newspaper column, and they retaliated by creating a YouTube video claiming that I was a Holocaust denier in the headline. It taught me that there's a personal cost to covering belligerent fringe groups like MRAs, and at the same time, why even give these people column inches when they lie so brazenly? So I made a note not to cover them again, and I hoped that I wouldn't have to explain myself as totally, absolutely, 100% not a Holocaust denier to anyone I know. Unfortunately, I met Mac, and he wants to talk about it on the record for a school paper about MRAs and their slanderous tactics. 
Mac was a student at McCune University here in Edmonton who had left the oil sands to try to start a second career in journalism. And my first impression of him told me that he had an interest in people on the fringes. Now, fast forward three years, and Mac is Vice's de facto beat reporter on conspiracy theories and extremist right-wing groups in Canada, or as he calls himself, a historian on weird internet thingies. But here's the thing. Those internet thingies aren't so weird anymore. Kooky ideas like Pizzagate have entered the mainstream, and the term weird doesn't exactly capture how dangerous some of them have become. Sure, his early work started innocently enough with stories on a subculture of men using magic spells to get laid, and a nutty conspiracy theory about how the Berenstain Bears, sorry, the Berenstain Bears, prove that we live in a parallel universe or something. But this year, Mac exposed an Alberta group calling itself the 3%, an anti-Muslim group built on conspiracies like the belief that ISIS is sending trainees into Canada across U.S. borders. And it's a group that is also doing paramilitary-style training, monitoring mosques, and discussing plans to build flash bombs. The eight-month investigation titled The Birth of Canada's Armed Anti-Islamic Patriot Group was one of the more underappreciated investigations this year because it showed both how extremist groups were mobilizing on Facebook in the open and how ignoring fringe groups, as I swore to myself that I'd do, might do more harm than good. And his beat has come with a cost. Mac has suffered misinformation campaigns against him, calling him a pedophile, amongst other things, and he's been doxxed too. We're going to talk about that, why he thinks it's time to take fringe groups seriously, and the delicate art of accessing and sometimes infiltrating them. Mac Lamoureux joins me in a minute. Jesse here again, just doing some housekeeping. This episode is brought to you by Laurie McCauley, Brian Mayer, Adam Weltzhofer, Robert Fajber, Sarah Fellin, Marty Levesque, Michael Mooney, and Alex Eddington. Hey. I'm Alex. I'm a composer and theater artist in Toronto. I support Canada Land because independent media should be fierce, funny, and free, and hold people's feet to the fire. And it should be able to say F-words freely. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by Paytm. Paytm is kind of new to Canada, but the technology is made in Canada. They make this stuff here. It is incredibly popular in India. Everybody uses it. They know what you now know, which is that moving money around should be effortless. There's no reason for there to be fees or any kind of hassle involved in moving money around. That is the grand vision of Paytm. They are introducing themselves to Canadians first and foremost as a bill payment solution. That makes a lot of sense. Why should you have to go and pay your bills through various different methods? Why should you be getting bills in the mail and then having to mail things back or go to the bank? Do it all through an app that lets you track everything and do it all in minutes and get money back when you do. Paytm wants to give you $10. Pay a $200 bill, get $10 back. When you download the Paytm Canada app in Apple's App Store or Google Play and use the promo code, not the referral code, mind you, but the promo code, Canada land. And this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Are you a freelancer? Are you a small business owner? I feel your pain. I know what you're going through because tax season is here. And if you have not been using FreshBooks, then the chore is a much bigger headache because if you've been using FreshBooks, it's keeping track of everything for you. It knows how much HST is coming out, going in. It knows all about your expenses. It knows all, and it can spit out a report at the click of a button. You can use it to put together your own income tax filing or to send it off to your accountant, and you don't have to sort through a shoebox full of receipts or go through old records. It makes life during tax season so much easier. It's sort of this big time savings you get once a year, in addition to all of the many smaller time savings you get throughout the year when you put together your invoices and all of your expenses way quicker than if you were drafting that from scratch. Also good for estimates and time tracking, stuff like that. And it gets you paid quicker. FreshBooks is a great tool. I think it is the industry standard tool for small businesses and freelancers. Millions of people around the world use this Canadian-made tool for their cloud accounting. Check it out. Try it out. 30 days. You don't need a credit card. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you and you will be doing the show a favor. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Okay, enough of me. Here's Omar. Mac, thanks for joining us on Canada Land. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again, Omar. I'm going to take you back about a decade. You're working up north. You're working as an instrumentationist. Well, I've done uh, several jobs in the oil field. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was an instrumentation technician. Uh, I was blue booked at Nate actually for that. Uh, I did chemical cleaning, which with acid, which sucked. And then I operated. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. And then I uh, operated locomotives at a liquid propane gas. Okay, right. so so while you're doing that, mm-hmm. you're passing the time. You're listening to talk radio, and you come across a show called Coast to Coast with Art Bell and and later George Nuri. He's talking with listeners and experts about yeah. Bigfoot and how humans never walked on the moon. Uh, what did that teach you about the kinds of people who believe in these theories? Well, you kind of it kind of teaches you a little bit of the fact that they are willing to believe anything. Um, my favorite story has to do with I think it was Art Bell. It was back when I was working uh, 
6 a.m. to 6 p.m. shifts at, out at uh, Provident Williams near Redwater. And he just came on and he was like, look, we don't, we don't know if we've confirmed this, but uh, somebody sent us a tape and we believe it's from hell. Well, let me play you this. And it was just a bunch of screaming. He's like, we don't know I, I if this is for sure. That. We don't know if this for sure is from hell, but it might be. And that kind of encapsulates it a little bit there where these people are kind of willing to believe anything. They're, once you kind of break into a certain threshold of believing in conspiracies, when you believe anything can be real, it A, becomes magical and B, it becomes dangerous. I absolutely heard the hell tape. Yeah, And wonderful. I did believe in it a little bit. I was 15 years old. Um, <laughs> but is there a difference between the conspiracy theories that Art Bell was peddling and the conspiracy theories that you write about now? To me, it definitely feels like there is, um, definitely with the publication of like the internet and the mainstreaming of people like Alex Jones and Mike Cernovich and everything. But again, I was younger back when I was listening to Art Bell and everything, and you can't really overstate the people like Timothy McVeigh, who was a New World Order guy. Uh, but yeah, definitely it seems that it's taken a turn, and you see these conspiracies very prevalent in the militia movement. You see them very prevalent in the right-wing extremist movement. You even see them prevalent in a few far-left movements that are against um, Zionism, that are against... um, Vaccinations. Vaccinations, that are against things like that. So definitely, I believe the internet has, to a point, a little bit melted our brains, and we've seen these conspiracies get far larger than they ever would in the past where they were more of a much more of a fringe thing. Well, I'm, I'm going to list a few of the things that you've covered at mm-hmm. Vice and you just give me a quick one sentence explanation of what they are. Okay. okay. Oh God. Okay. Okay. Hollow earth theory. Uh, the earth is hollow and inside there are Vikings and Nazis. Uh, men going their own way. Men who believe that feminism is a cancer and the best way to fight that is self-imposed chastity. Straight men. Straight men. Yeah. Iraq Stargate. There is a Stargate in Iraq, and that's why we invaded it. Sherry Schreiner. Oh, one sentence? (laughs) Um, Maybe the most interesting thing about that. Yeah, the most interesting thing about that is, well, it's kind of, so the Sherry Schreiner thing, she's a woman that is very prolific on YouTube, and she's also very, very quick to get the lawyers on the case of people, so I'm going to be very careful of what I say here. Um, she's kind of one of the reptilian ladies, uh, reptiles rule the world, you know, David Icke, those kind of people. Sure. Yes. And so essentially what happened is there was a fallout between one of her followers and the rest of her followers. And, uh, he asked his girlfriend to kill him and she did. And she she did shot it. him in the head. And this was back in, I believe, April. That's interesting because it, it just shows that with the internet cults, don't necessarily have to exist in the same place. They don't have to be regional anymore. They can exist in the ether. You can have followers without actually having to have face-to-face contact with them. I have one more for mm-hmm. you. The Berenstein Berenstain Bears. What's that all about? Oh, God. I'm never going to get rid of this story. Um, so essentially the Berenstein Berenstein Bears story is that we all grew up thinking that we all grew up with the Berenstein Bears and we all grew up thinking it was S-T-E-I-N. And it's actually S-T-A-I-N. And what some people believe this is uh, the cause of something they call the Mandela effect, which is that there was a little bit of a ripple in the space-time continuum, think the Matrix, and that we're in a different parallel universe than the one we grew up in. The books were literally rewritten, but only with like a couple letters. Yeah, with just like, well, that's, that's, it's not that they were rewritten, it's that's the glitch in the Matrix. So that was... Your most popular story ever. It was the second most popular story on Vice Canada in 2015. I believe so. How do you come across these conspiracy theories? Because they are even 
wilder, I think, than the ones that I remember mm -hmm. hearing as a teenager, Bigfoot and the Moonland yeah. hoaxes. What sites and back channels are you monitoring? And like, what is the overlap that these conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists have with fringe right-wing groups? Ooh, that's a heck of a question there. Um, so essentially, uh, I am somebody you could describe as being extremely online. Um, I find a lot of these through, say, weird Reddit channels. I find a lot of them through really weird Facebook groups. Uh, it's gotten to the point now that if somebody sees a really weird conspiracy, like the one I wrote about the guy who accidentally convinced the internet that Finland didn't exist, that was just somebody sending that to me. And I, I was like, oh, my God, is this real? And I contacted the guy and he was like, yeah, so my parents are very yourself. mad at me. But when, when you t what Facebook groups, what Reddit channels, where do we find these communities? You can find a lot of them on secret uh, Facebook groups. There's Reddit conspiracy. There's an entire Reddit page for conspiracies. You can find a lot of them being brewed on several 4chan pages, maybe not so much poll. B has a lot of them. Um, you can find them just on lots of corners of the webs. Every person has a blog now. If you Google the right things, you can come up with the blogs. But when you bring in the Venn diagram between um, these right-wing and these far-right-wing groups and these conspiracy theorists, is that it's almost primarily on Facebook. And what you find is you find that people are sharing it through, I guess, for lack of a better term, memes, very shareable content. Uh, their YouTube videos that are being shared on Facebook, that, that would be their main form of communication. Uh, when you get a little bit more serious, you will get Discord channels, you will get signal chats, you will get these people taking it offline. But when you talk about like their base of recruitment and their base of everything, it's almost primarily on Facebook. It seems to me like the overlap mm -hmm. is a inherent distrust of authority yeah. and um, what we would call, you know, mainstream media or in, or just mainstream information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I would agree with that for sure. Uh, essentially, like, it feels that, I think I said earlier that the internet's melted our brain and we are just slammed with all this information. And there is a lot of people who aren't journalists that aren't like us who don't have the time to flush out what's a reliable source, what's not a reliable source. There's people that just, they work a full day their uncle sends them something, their brother sends them something, their coworker sends them something. You trust that person. You think that's going to be true. You think that, um, I think a good one that just recently happened is, do you think Justin Trudeau just said that ISIS fighters are going to be great additions to the Canadian ecosystem? But that's not true. What he essentially said is that um, reintegrated ISIS fighters, people that we have de-radicalized, can help with the process of de-radicalizing other. So this gets distorted. Yes. It becomes a meme, mm -hmm. and then it becomes a conspiracy. And then it becomes a conspiracy. You know, it's interesting to think back to the conspiracy theories peddled even by Alex Jones and, and mm -hmm. Infowars 10 years ago. And, you know, the two that come to my mind... Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier anti-vaxxer misinformation, mm -hmm. but also that 9-11 was a inside, inside job, job, the trutherism. Yeah. These were both far left conspiracies. Yeah. Um, now popular conspiracy theories seem to be more on the political mm -hmm. far right. Yeah. Did the pendulum swing or is it just that we in the media who do have an interest in this, that we just don't cover the far left conspiracies anymore? Yeah, I don't want to say that anti-vaxxers or anything aren't the problems, but definitely the pendulum does swing, and it does swing with political power. Uh, in 2008, you saw a giant resurgence of militias. You saw a giant resurgence of patriots groups. You saw a giant resurgence of this kind of conspiracy theory for money, and it's the first time you're able to see people make some serious cash off it. Infowars blowing up. People like Mike Cernovich coming up, even though he was more of the 2016 Trump election when he came. It's the same thing you saw kind of in Canada with um, Justin Trudeau being a elected was the best thing that ever happened to these far-right groups. 
This is when you saw the burgeoning of a lot of the far-right groups like the Soldiers of Odin. It's when you saw kind of the birth of the Three Percenters. It's when you saw a lot of these groups that believe that somebody who is going to inherently harm Canada, like Justin Trudeau, and then you include these memes, these distortion of truth and everything. And you can say what you want about Justin Trudeau, but you have to agree that there are a lot of misinformation regarding his policies and what he states he's going to do. And when you mix those two things, you can get a little bit of a dangerous cocktail of mixing xenophobia and firepower. Hmm. You've mentioned some pretty um, serious examples Mm -hmm. of conspiracies run amok being sort of co-opted by militias that have um, maybe some dangerous intent or uh, intent of a violent revolution, Mm -hmm. at least in the United States, though. We'll talk later about um, the Canadian implications Mm -hmm. of 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 that. But we've, you know, we've also talked about some of the more innocuous things like, you know, I'm I'm not losing sleep over the Berenstein Bears and the Berenstein Bears. So how do you decide when a a crazy idea like the Berenstein, Berenstein Mm -hmm. Bears or a fringe group like the Soldiers of Odin is worth investigating? Well, those are definitely two separate um, thought processes with uh, the crazy ideas. Um, If I think it's funny, if I think there's enough people who believe it, I'll end up covering that conspiracy theory. But when it comes to far right groups, there's a completely different thought process that goes behind it because you can bolster their recruitment, you can bolster their profile. Um, And it's definitely something we need to think about. And it's definitely something that I think about. And I've done a little bit of soul searching in regards to it, especially after Charlottesville, um, the death of Heather Hare out there uh, when she was run over by a far-right extremist during the protest. So essentially, when I'm trying to figure out if I want to cover a fringe group, I want to see what the narrative is about this fringe group. If the narrative is incorrect, I would like to write something to correct the narrative. As in what happened a lot with the Soldiers of Odin is there would be a lot of very uncritical uh, news stories in regards to the Soldiers of Odin are, say, shoveling people's driveways. Soldiers of Odin are cleaning up parks. Can you remind us, who are the soldiers of Odin? They are an anti-immigration, yeah. anti-Muslim yeah. group. So essentially, the soldiers of Odin was started in 2015 by a man named Mika Ranta, who is a white supremacist in Finland. Uh, he has actually gone to jail, I believe, for assaulting a refugee who had just come over. Um, so what Mika Ranta did is he created the soldiers of Odin, a group that will walk the streets. It's a little bit of a community watch program. And we, we have chapters in Canada. Actually, one of the biggest chapters is here in, yeah. in Edmonton. In your reporting, has one of those fun-seeming stories like the Berenstain, Berenstein Bears, has that evolved into the other type of dangerous extremist conspiracies at all? Not yet. I'm sure probably down the road it will, but we live in dumb, dumb times. I mean, some of the stuff that you report yeah. on is obviously, you mentioned the word fun like yeah. five times there and funny. Like it's it's just fun yeah. to, to gawk at this. They're but- usually great people too. They're, they're more than willing to talk to you about, say, the hollow earth. They know I'm going to kind of make fun of them, but uh-huh. I try and be respectful to them. So are you trying also then to, to humanize them or uh, oppositely, is it just about gawking at them? I mean, you know, I have to assume that you had brushed up with some of the people who do believe in conspiracies mm-hmm. when you were working that job listening to Coast yeah. to Coast. I have to imagine some of the people that were listening with oh, yeah. you Lots. were They're super great. into it. Yeah. So what, so what is your intent with doing these stories? I think a good story always humanizes its subject. Um, I know it can be dangerous to do so when it comes to certain people. But the way I finished my Hollow Earth story was essentially being like, remember when these were just 
these conspiracies were a little harmless and everything like that. And the people were wonderful. They're prolific writers. They write all these books that all their fans buy. Um, and they're not really a danger to anybody. Uh, so I do try and humanize them. And I, I, in all aspects of my reporting, I guess uh, a level of humanization comes into um, comes into it. And it has gotten me a little bit of hell from several people, uh, both on the left and the right. The goal of these fringe groups mm -hmm. on either side of the spectrum is to push their agenda into the Overton window. Yes. Basically, the things that we find acceptable for public discussion. Mm -hmm. And... We see already terms like the red pill and deep state mm -hmm. and globalist uh, entering the lexicon of mainstream Canadian and American politicians. Yeah. Donald Trump endorses tweets from the lead Pizzagators and appears on Infowars. What do you think this tells us about the times that we are living in? They're weird times. Uh, I think that might be a good way of putting it. It's I've never experienced anything like this. It feels... They are so powerful, and it feels very hard at some times to fight back against the disenfranchisement of mainstream media and trying to get actual facts out there when you are just painted as fake news. Uh, and I'm not saying that's among the main populace. I'm saying that's among these kind of um, community groups, these kind of ecosystems that I tend to spend time in. Within a certain population, these people are, are winning and make no assurance of the opposite. These people are very powerful and what they say holds a lot of weight with a lot of people. And that's why you're seeing endorsements of, you know, um, I believe it was the, it wasn't the English Defense League, but it was, I think. At, Britain at the, first, are you talking about? Britain first, at the very least, a vitriolent anti-Islamic group. We're talking about Donald Trump. Yeah, retweeting. Endorsing three tweets by Britain first, yeah. which even in Britain is seen as a dangerous and extremist group by, the, by most yeah. British people. So essentially he retweeted three videos of what was purported to be um, Muslim people attacking um, white people within Europe. It included one that was a, a supposed Muslim refugee attacking a Dutch boy on crutches. Yeah. Completely false. Well, that actually reminds me um, very readily of a story in Red Deer in Alberta here, where there was a video of... You know, just a schoolyard fight, and I believe it was Pegida Canada and it was WCIA, which is the World Coalition Against Islam, which are two very large groups, anti-Islamic groups within Canada. They purported it to be that it was Syrian refugee children that were beating up white kids. Um, and there was a rally against children in Red Deer. People came there to protest refugee children over what is 100% fake news. And you had people, I don't know if the rebel... How did, how did the media handle it? Uh, the media handled it relatively well. The media that you would think of, Global handled it well. CBC ran a debunking piece that was very good. Paula Simons, who pound for pound, I honestly believe is the best columnist in Canada, ran a very good piece about it. But then you have groups like the rebel, you have other groups that were running with it. And you've seen them run with anti-refugee children things time and time again. And I don't know what it is about that particular um, sore spot within a portion of Canadians' population, but God, does it ever agitate some people. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting that the um, mainstream media does even have to follow up on mm -hmm. these things and put 
work into convincing people that false information is false. Because, I mean, it used to be that uh, fringe groups and fringe ideas were covered only on trash television. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jerry Springer would have the yep. KKK on his show. Now with the rise of uh, Pegida, Richard Spencer, the Proud Boys, etc., do we have to start taking these groups seriously? Or might we be giving a small group like the Soldiers of Odin or the Three Percenters too much attention? Because maybe they would just fizzle out if we ignored them. And I think back to how um, MRAs in Canada exploited media's magnetic pull towards sensational and outrageous mm-hmm. things. They made themselves famous off of stunts like postering yeah. Edmonton with misogynist and anti-feminist propaganda. I wonder if they never got the headlines in the first place, yeah. if they wouldn't be as uh, as significant or important as they are today. I think that's a very fair point. And as I said earlier, um, I grapple with it sometimes. Uh, as I was saying earlier, if I believe the narrative is incorrect, if I believe people are painting these groups to be something they're not, and I can prove that false, I will write that story. If I believe this is a group that the Canadian population needs to know about, I will write that story. But if this is a group that has no influence over other people, if this is a group with one or two members, if this is like that Peterborough rally that happened in November where it was one neo-Nazi standing in the city centre, well, you know what, I don't know if we necessarily need to run Mm -hmm. that story. But when it's people like the Three Percenters, which is probably the one I got the most slack for because no one had ever really heard of them before, You have a group that is openly admitting to doing paramilitary-style training, to stockpiling weapons, to buying land. I believe that's something that the Canadian population needs to know about. I also know that my story bolstered their their membership a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know for a fact it did. Um, Yeah, it's a hard thing to grapple with, but we just need to get better at it. Interesting. So you you may have put them on the radar of of activists mm-hmm. or the concerned citizen yeah. but you also help the thing that's probably most important to them which is their membership is there is there any group that you regret covering have you ever gotten the the calculation about what to cover wrong certainly i certainly have no one's perfect um i believe i made the soldiers of odin out to be a little too strong a little stronger than they really were uh as we're seeing now they are Essentially crumbling. Yes, extremely fractured. Yeah. And yeah, so I believe I made them out to be a little bit too strong. Um, well, at least yeah. you didn't do what uh, CBC Saskatoon and Saskatchewan did, which was make them out to be an innocuous group that just shovels the sidewalks of seniors in the winter. Yeah, that is not good. Uh, I get it. I'm a former uh, local reporter at CBC Edmonton. Uh, I cut some of my teeth there uh, and it was great. But uh, you are writing five stories a day. Sometimes you don't have the ability nor the time to flush out what these groups are. And that's when it's important that people who do do beat coverage of this and come you, in and, you and follow correct them. it a bit. To do your deep dives, you follow them for for quite some time. Like you months, have months, yeah. a dare I say encyclopedic knowledge of white supremacy iconography and uh, and yeah. history. I know that you've been following the evolution of the movement on mm-hmm. websites like Stormfront. I assume there are others as well. Why do you put so much time into this? I believe it's very important. Um, there's also a little bit of the fact that I feel that because of my blue collar roots and the fact that I come from a pretty far right place in Canada, which is a small community in 
central north Alberta. Um, there's people in northern Alberta that are going to get mad at me if I say Fort say Saskatchewan. Say Fort Saskatchewan. Yeah, Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. <laughs> um, but I believe that, like, I'm able to get into these groups. I'm able to speak their language. Um, I understand them. Dare I say I have a little bit of empathy, not sympathy for them, um, due to the fact that I am a lot more angry at the people who are peddling them this false information than I am for people not having the time to suff it out. But it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting thing that we're seeing happen between the nexus of technology and communication right now. I believe it's it's massive. We're seeing it across the world. We're seeing generation identity in Europe. We're seeing um, Richard Spencer. You're seeing all these groups in the United States. And now we're starting to see it in Canada. And especially when we're seeing, we're speaking about the three percenters who, as we mentioned earlier, are a militia style group. But the very interesting thing about them is that they're a very Americanized militia group. One of the experts I spoke to, Ryan Scrivens, who is a PhD candidate and is one of our country's few experts in far-right extremism called them a wholesale lift of an American militia within Canada, which is very interesting. So we are starting to see this little bit of the power of the American culture, not just with television and not just with media, but we're starting to see it with these internet memes, with this these conspiracies come over to Canada. And they call themselves the three percenters, and the three percenters essentially comes from an American myth that it was 3% of the population that fought against the British in the War of Independence. So to call yourself 3% Alberta is asinine. But we're just seeing this insane impact of these Americanized conspiracies within Canada. And it's very fascinating. It's very scary. And I think it's something worth being covered. So you've covered a lot of these uh, fringe groups that, mm-hmm. that act in pretty unpredictable ways. My yeah. own experience with men rights activists uh, slandering me as a Holocaust denier yeah. taught me that. If anything, what costs have you paid for your work? Oh, it, it it's gotten to the point where there's a couple things I actually can't bring up publicly. Um, Why is that? Lawyers are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's gotten to that point. Um, if you ever want to buy me a beer... Any of you out there, if you buy Mac a beer, I'll probably tell you, but I'm just not going to say it publicly on a podcast. Well, what, what can you tell us? Like, what, what are some of the things, you don't have to say um, um, who specifically, yeah. but what are some of the things that have been said about you? Yeah, I've been, I've been slandered as a pedophile. I've been called every name in the book. When, when you say called, are these just people just tweeting at you? I mean, I get tweeted at. Uh, I've, I've gotten, um, my mom's gotten letters. Uh, they've sent my mom letters because that's the only address they're able to find of me. Um, I Letters at hate mail, old school hate mail. Okay. Um, you know, I've gotten lots of like Twitter DMs, lots of emails. They somehow found my first ever email, which is insane. I didn't think anybody would ever find my hotmail email. Um, I think one of the scariest things that happened, uh, to me was back when I was starting out and it was actually not even the far right extremists that did this. It was the men's rights activists who have slandered you as well. Um, where they just sent me my address. It was nothing more. It was an egg Twitter account that just sent me my address. And, um, I so was you in, got doxxed? Yeah, I got doxxed. I've been doxxed a couple times. Never majorly. Um, but I've had things that I... People have made... I'm trying to think of the best way I can put this. They've mocked up fake news articles, say, of Global and, say, of Metro, where they've said things about me and it's gotten back to my family, um, where... My family had to be like, explain this to me. And really? Yeah. Uh, and Allegations about you. Yes. Um, which aren't true. Um, 
but like that happens and and they 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 send them to your family or they spread them online spread them online and in the end it gets back um i don't know if it's explicitly being sent to my family but um i assume this is yeah. where the lawyers are involved no comment um one of the more interesting things is that I have one of the Frenchest last names in the world. It has an X in it and like 17 vowels and they call me a Jew, which is very like it's gotten to the point like I was speaking to the lead investigator of the Southern Poverty Law Center. They say like she is one of the most thoroughly German people I've ever talked to and they call her a Jew. Like it's gotten to the point where like if in any way you report any sort of things that people look at as left of center, they will call you a Jew. It's still the far right's go-to. Yeah. Like that, have you ever been called a Jew? Omar Mulawam? <laughs> uh, no, I can't. Actually, I can't say I've gotten that one. One day. One we, day. All, we can all strive. One, one can only hope. Yeah. It is scary. And, and yet you do investigate them. You have... Mm-hmm for lack of a better term, infiltrated these groups, um, these extremist political groups, they operate through intimidation of of immigrants and religious Mm -hmm. minorities, also of the media and uh, lefties or liberals. Soldiers of Odin, for example, um, I mean, I tried to interview the Edmonton chapter's leader for an article this year, last year, and they just, they wouldn't trust me. Was uh, William Crotty? Yeah, it was yeah. William Crotty. And um, or I, I think it was, it, was, it was whoever operates their main account. And um, they said, before we agree to an interview, uh, we would like you to explain Sharia law to us <laughs> and whether you believe oh my that God. it is dangerous, something along those lines. And I, I foolishly did. I foolishly tried to explain to them my feelings about Sharia law and how it's uh, basically... To be fair, that's how I start every one of our conversations. Yes, that's, yeah. that is true. That is true. That's how we started our conversation yeah. in the studio today. But I mean, you know, guess what? They still wouldn't talk to me even... You're saying an anti-Islam group about, wouldn't talk to somebody no, named Omar Mulawam? Yeah, who knows? Oh, wow. Who, who would have thought... <laughs> So how do you do it? I mean, um, how do you investigate them and get them to talk to you? Um, So I guess the two biggest stories I've kind of broken uh, among the way, a lot of smaller stories, but the two biggest ones I've broken was I was uh, able to be the first reporter in Canada to write about both the soldiers of Odin, which was back in 2015 or very, very early 2016, and the Three Percenters, which was this summer. Um, And I took two very different approaches at how I did these stories um, with the soldiers of Odin. Uh, they wouldn't let me in as a journalist, so I made a, oh, there's going to be a few journalist ethics t-shirts that are just going to be shaking after I explain how I got into this. So essentially, I made a fake Facebook page um, under the name, I believe, Mark Machansky. Uh, apologies to all Mark Machanskys out there. Um, so you didn't you didn't go with an Arab name like, like I didn't go now. with okay. Omar Mulan. Okay, so that no. was my first mistake. That's a big yep. Uh, a, yeah, they're not that big of fans. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, uh, and I made it uh, explicitly racist. I had Screwdriver, which is Ian Donaldson's band. He's the one who coined Blood and Honor, um, one of the biggest white supremacist bands of all time, I believe. And then I before, you put that as your Facebook. Cover. I put that as uh, the cover photo, and I believe as my. Facebook picture, I put a couple pictures of Lucky Logger for a okay. little bit of Alberta pride there. So the first time you tried to yep. join these groups as Mac Lamoureux. Yeah. Uh, they didn't let me in. Wouldn't let you in. You make this new profile and then what happens? So essentially I make this profile and within an hour I'm within their secret group. They have invited me to 
see their organizing page. And within two hours, they invited me to a meeting at a Radian Hotel in West Edmonton um, in a couple of days. And did you go? I did go. So I went with my one sports reporter friend who had no idea what he was getting into. Um, I won't say his name because I don't think he really wants to be associated with this style of my reporting. Um, so we went and we got recruited. We got um, initiated into the Soldiers of Odin. Um, and it got a little hairy at times. What what were they? What did they want to discuss? Because yeah. they, from from your article, it was they were more interested actually in the optics of the group, so that down the line, mm-hmm. when they believe the uh, Muslim invasion comes, yeah. you know, across the pond to to yeah. North America, not that it's necessarily uh, you know come to Europe. Yeah. Um, they want to look good. They Tell do. me about that. So a lot of it was focused on doing good things like the community, like cleaning up needles and doing this, but that was for mainly for the optics. Um, when they were speaking, I remember clearly, I believe it was the leader. If it wasn't the leader, it was one of the sergeant at arms said that we need to look as good as we can because when the shit hits the fan, which is uh, a prepper term, which means that essentially when Armageddon comes or when a moment happened and they were referring to the Islamic invasion of Canada. So when the shit hits the fan, like when the race war happens, we Mm -hmm. need to be able to look good and have people on our side. So... So at some point, they ask you for your IDs. What do you do? Yeah, so essentially, we were all standing around a pool table while we were going over what the being soldiers of Odin is like. And we've gone over pretty much everything. And they then say, of course, you can't be under a certain age. I think it was 25. It was 25. And and they looked at me and they looked at my friend and they said, you guys look pretty young. Show us your IDs. And uh us being flustered, I remember we were both like, ah, we, uh, we, uh, we left it in the truck. It's a weird thing to do at a bar, leave your ID in the truck. Especially after you have bought beer with your wallet in front of them. Uh, um, and so they didn't really believe us, but I remember one of the bigger guys, because uh, when you picture the soldiers of Odin, just picture like a lot of men that look like people who couldn't get into the Hells Angels, but they're pretty big dudes. Um, and he was like, okay, well, I'll just uh, I'll follow you to your car then. We're like, oh, okay, this is, woo, this will be fun. Um, and so I remember because I'm a smoker and everyone in the Soldiers of Odin is a smoker, I was like, let's go do a dart, boys. And they're like, yeah, let's all, let's all go have a cigarette. And they all left and we're like, we're going to pay up, which again is a very weird thing to say when you've left your wallet in a truck. And uh, we left through the kitchen of the Radian and then circled around the entirety of the hotel because I wasn't too worried about what the soldiers were going to do to us. At the very worst, they were just going to beat us up. Um, There was one man who I would probably describe as a tweaker. He was either coming off drugs or he was coming on like he was very high at the moment. And I was really worried that he was going to try and prove himself to the group by doing something irrational, by doing something impulsive if he found out we were there under... um, Kind false of an, pretenses. You know, false pretenses is an investigative role. Um, and so that was my major worry. Um, and I knew several of these guys, they had knives on them. They Some of them did have a couple, some weapons on them. So what happened later when you approached them as the journalist that you are to get their take, to get their response? They were not happy with me. Um, they gave me a, a statement. Um, but then I remember them saying, well, Mac Lamaru ruined it for everybody because we have open doors, but we're not going to do it anymore. No, they don't. They weren't letting any journalist in. No one knew how these guys were operating. It was a last 
ditch resort. It's I don't do stuff like that lightly. Um, and even now, I still do stories. I did a story about how the soldiers of Odin and Red Deer were essentially shaking down homeless people while they were looking for indigenous suspects. That was just a few months ago I did that story. Um, got a little bit of a scoop there. And... I reached out to the spokesman and they were like, no, long time, no talk, Mac. So they still remember me. Um, That's good and bad. (laughs) So you had another approach with Mm -hmm. the three percenters, which you spent eight months investigating. Eight months investigating. Tell me how you did things differently there. So essentially, I was very open about being a journalist with the three percenters. I didn't outwardly scream I was a journalist, but... um, Wait, from the get-go you were? Yeah, so it was, uh, when I got into their secret pages, it was all my public account. They're just apparently bad at OPSEC. So essentially what happened is that uh, back when Trudeau was elected in 2015, the reason I was able to get these stories is I thought we were going to see something that happened in 2008 with Obama. There was going to be a resurgent of all of these militia groups. And so what I did is I just took my personal Facebook page and I joined it to some of the most vitriently racist groups I could find within Canada to see if they were going to start recruiting. And um, and I was able to get into this 3 percent group, which just started as an anti-Trudeau group for a long time. And then something clicked and they started organizing and they started shooting and they started doing drills where they were assaulting cars. And I just started keeping a really good focus on that. Assaulting cars? Not the public's cars. No, no. So they would drive a car somewhere and they would do assault drills on, say, you need to take someone down from within a car. What do you do? How do you flank the car? That sort of thing. How strange is this for Canada? Immensely. It's very immensely strange. We have seen a few kind of malicious-style groups, mostly in Quebec, which is where you would kind of expect to see them. Um, but not so much in Anglophone Canada, not so much in Western Canada. It's extremely weird, and it's extremely weird to see them use dial, this American style of training. Um, Dr. Barbara Perry, who is with Ryan Scrivens, Canada's foremost leader in right-wing extremism, told me when I first brought this up to her, I was speaking about her it for months when I was reporting on this, that it scared her. This actually scared her, and she's never seen this before. Um, so essentially, I got into this group, and what I did is I just watched this group move and train, and over time I was able to get into different things because they thought I was a member. And again, I was very openly a journalist in this case. I Not not in that you were asking questions as they went along, though. I mean, you it seems like you sat back quietly and you yeah, watched for I quite watched a while. I watched it happen. Were, I mean, weren't you afraid of, of losing the scoop, or weren't you afraid of this thing escalating into violence and, and getting there because, you know, you hadn't reported on it yet, or because you were waiting for, you know, some switch to go off? That's why we reported on it, is because it got to the point where we couldn't sit on it anymore. And what the big thing was for me is that I saw that they were sitting outside of mosques. Wow. And to me, yeah, and that was actually something That's that, what they claimed to be doing. They and th- Yeah, that was something that when I did sit down with the leader and I did do a big, long, several-hour interview with the leader of the Three Percenters, he confirmed that to me that they were doing that. In Calgary. In Calgary, yeah. Uh, I was never able to track down exactly what mosque they were doing. I knew they did it to at least three. And I don't know if they're still currently doing it. Um, but Why these mosques? There's lots of mosques in, in Calgary. There's lots of mosques in Alberta. So essentially, um, Alberta hasn't had the greatest track record. We have had people go over and that were radicalized within our province. And several of these mosques were tied to that radicalization. There was one that was 
one of the worst in Canada for radicalization. I'm not saying there was a lot of people that went through. I'm just saying in terms of all the mosques in Canada, it was one of the more notorious ones. Notorious as in that radicalized people were congregants of this mosque. Um, disenfranchised youth would go to this mosque and they would end up going to Syria. I see. Yeah. Um, and so they would sit outside there. And there were some mosques that weren't like that. There was just some mosques that were just there for them. Um, and they would go and they, I remember one time Bo told me that they saw they were loading crates in at four in the morning. And he was like, doesn't that seem suspicious to you? They're, they're moving arms. They're moving ammunition. They're moving guns. I'm like, no, that's just a time people who get up early move things sometimes because it's easier to get around. Also, like, you know, there's Fajr, the, the like four or five in the morning prayer. So, you know, could have been people just making their, yeah. their early arrival to mosque for prayer. Yeah. Um, I'm going to act like I knew about that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just being um, pedantic. And so essentially, uh, when I saw that they were doing this, it was, we had it out within a week. We, uh, we just felt we couldn't sit on it, um, too long. And, uh, but when it comes to a story like this, of course, I don't want to be scooped, but it was, and I don't want to sound like an altruistic person or anything. Well, I am altruistic, but I don't want to sound like some sort of journalistic ideologue, but I wouldn't have mind that this story got out. I just wanted as much information to be able to do the story that I did do, which is why we sat on it. But when they did go a bridge too far, we pulled the trigger. Does your upbringing in rural Alberta, your own experience living, you know, the roughneck life, I have to imagine that it helps you. I think you said this earlier, it helps Mm -hmm. you relate to them. Does it help you understand the the red-blooded Albertan who might be persuaded by these kinds of groups and beliefs? Totally. It totally does. I was definitely somebody raised on Alberta first, not America first, but just that like we're Albertans above Canadians where this is our heritage. My family actually has a long heritage within Canada. We were the first French-Canadian family to settle Alberta. Uh-huh. Um, and. Definitely well, and al- you mentioned militia groups in Quebec and, yeah. and that you wouldn't expect to see this in Western Alberta, yeah. but actually Alberta has a bit of an individualist streak. Yeah, we have a huge it's, individualistic streak. There's still somewhat yeah. of a secessionist. Yeah, and just the way I act, um, I believe you've described me before as a rural Alberta dirtbag, uh, which I very proudly am. That's, and I still describe you that way to everyone um, I talk to about you. <laughs> but I'm able to... Uh, at least when I'm speaking to them, um, really relate to them, really uh, speak their language. Uh, they asked me to join the militia, which was extremely weird for me. Um, and I obviously said no. Um, yeah, I feel that just the way that I'm able to act, at least in terms of these hyper-localized Alberta groups, I'm able to relate to them more. But also, um, I don't want to say I get where the anger is coming from. Um, I get the anger towards minorities or anything. I don't want to say that I get it at all, but I understand that times are tough. There's a lot of disenfranchisement that's happening. And whenever you see times of political and economic strife, you are going to see reactionary groups jump up. And I have had um, friends from my hometown who have um, overdosed on fentanyl and died of the opioid crisis. I've had friends that lose jobs, that they're, they're struggling really hard. And I understand when a group like this comes in, they say, you know what, this isn't your fault. This is the fault of the government and this is the fault of the immigrants that are coming in and we are giving them 90K a year, whatever the modern, the modern day conspiracy is right now, of the riches we're giving the immigrants who come in here and the refugees that are coming in here. I get that when times are really tough, that might be a very, um, you could grab that and it could give you hope. Your life being a little in shatters isn't your fault. And in a lot of these groups, there is a very 
big aspect of community. There's a very big aspect of brotherhood. They help each other out. They raise money for each other. And I see why that can be intoxicating to some people. Um, so I don't want to say that I get it, but I get it, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. You know, we rarely, for a media show, we rarely talk to media professionals about how they got started mm-hmm. in this business. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk to you about your start, because yeah. um, even though you're you're still in your 20s, yeah. um, this is actually your second career. Why did you leave the lucrative oil fields for, you know, journalism's paltry paydays? I <laughs> <laughs> got away with words, but... Um, so essentially I was working in the oil fields when I was a young man. I started, I started working kind of in the trades when I was around 16 in high school. It's what you do when you're from my town. It's, um, you get a job in the trades, you go to Nate, you, you get a house, you get a... Nate is the Northern Alberta Northern, I, I Institute always forget, of Technology. Yeah, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. It's trade school. Yeah. It's one of the best in Canada and, um, go Edmonton. And so essentially you, you get a truck, you get a, you get a, get a house, you have 2.5 kids. Um, and you never really move all that far away from your family. But I always found it a little grating to just go and pull the same wrench every day. Um, I, well, that said, I have immense respect for people in the trades. Um, but then when I was 21, um, close to 22, uh, I had my best friend, uh, Graham Gobert. He passed away in uh, a car accident. And I just realized I didn't really want to at, at the time before he passed away, we were both speaking about maybe leaving Fort Saskatchewan, which is a big conversation to have at that age. And I didn't go to pieces, but the minute that he passed away, my connection to my hometown and my connection to the trade started eroding. And I quit my pretty well-paying job driving locomotives at a liquid propane gas plant of all places and applied for Grant McEwen University in Edmonton, Alberta for a journalism program because I wanted to be a writer, but my fiction sucks. Um, So I decided journalism was the way to go. And um, then I did it, and I wouldn't have done it any other way. I was happy to bring the blue-collar kind of trades work ethic with me um, because I was able to make a go as a full-time freelancer while I was still in school. Yeah, I mean, your, your career came together pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I met you while you were a student, and that, that wasn't that long ago. That was two years ago. You're kind of a glimmer of hope because I think a lot of journalism students are afraid that there's just not any more jobs left for yeah. them, and they're not not right. Um, <laughs> they are scarce. It's difficult. Um, Very difficult. So what's your advice? Like, what's your inspiration for the emerging journalists listening to this? Well, media is in a very bad place right now. It's also changing. Um, It sure looks like post-media is going to die and there might not be jobs in papers, or at least good jobs. You're not going to have the jobs that you go and join a paper and you're there till the end of time anymore. Um, but there are outlets that are starting. You you have Canada Land where you can freelance. I, I know a man named Graham Gordon who made it, got a start um, freelancing for Canada Land. Um, I started writing for Vice. There's people that are making uh, livings writing for BuzzFeed. There's uh, The Baffler. There's uh, The Outline. There's all of these online kind of alternative media outlets. There's also um, CBC is great, um, but it's incredibly hard and you have to hustle. And know there's going to be maybe two people out of your graduating class that in 10 years will be doing this and make damn sure it's you. Like, you don't have to be ruthless. You don't have to slit throats, but you have to outwork everyone. If you become a reliable person who can develop a beat, any sort of beat, 
you will get work. And one of the beauties with like the changing media landscape, which while it, it can be very scary, it can be very, I know how insane it is to look out from being a freelancer and look out and have no idea what you're going to do. But you're able to take where you are and write for anyone in the world now. I've seen stories uh, about Edmonton on Al Jazeera. I got my first break by being the first person in Edmonton to write for Vice and write a bunch of stories, say, about um, the push-up guy. That, that if, you, if you're not guy. from Edmonton, you're not going to know that. It's just you're going to have to go with this. You've now. actually taken a lot of things that I, I took for granted as an Albertan, like the push-up guy and the fact that we throw coins at strippers in yeah. this province and actually done deep dives into them and uh, shine a light on them in a way that uh, I don't think people ever understood. Um, and thank you for that. Thanks for putting <laughs> Alberta's um, idiosyncrasies on Alberta the international first, <laughs> radar. Um and, uh, But I'm sorry that you left our province for uh, Big Bad Ontario. Me too. <laughs> Such a fancy pants now in Toronto. I, uh, uh, I miss the hell out of Edmonton. Uh, I hope for the day that you move back. Mac Lamour, thanks so much for joining us on Canada Land. Thank you, Omar. That's your Canada Land Show. You can email me at omar at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land, and I'm at omar underscore A-O-K. Find Canada Land on Facebook to get our stories in your newsfeed when we publish them. You could also go to our website at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show was produced by Kevin Sexton and Ali Graham. We have recorded this in Edmonton with Scott Franchuk at Riverdale Recorders. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.